0: So we do record uh, the sessions uh, and we attempt to post them on Facebook at stories on the square, Gwinnett, dot whatever Facebook that is. I get kind of dot com, but uh, it's, it's on Facebook. <laughs> and uh, as you can see, we have a sign up sheet. Uh, we try to go in the order of the sign up sheet. Uh, and I believe without further ado. Oh, yeah, we have cake to celebrate our anniversary. So <laughs> we can be dishing that out. I believe it's a lemon cake, if I remember right. A lemonade party cake. Woohoo. All right. So without further ado, if Miss Sarah Beth Nelson is ready to get up, we will start. And everybody, welcome Sarah Beth. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: my husband john and i walked into the gwinnett county courthouse wheeling our new baby daughter in her monstrosity of a stroller we went through the metal detector and they didn't make us take baby virginia out of the stroller we just wheeled her through the metal detector and then we went over to the little box of a room that was the probate court. We sat in some chairs and waited for our turn to go up to the counter. And when we got up to the counter, we handed over a form that was an application for a birth certificate. Now, usually the hospital fills out the application for the birth certificate, but Virginia was born at home. And also because she was born at home, we couldn't we didn't have really all the right information to fill neatly into the boxes that were provided on the form because the form assumed that a baby would be born in the hospital. And so we knew that our information didn't fit perfectly into all the boxes, but we did the best that we could and we provided some other information. And so we walked up to the counter and we had baby Virginia there to, to show them that, that she was there. And we handed over our form and the woman behind the counter was a little concerned that the information didn't perfectly fit what was supposed to go into the boxes, but John was talking to her about this and explaining about the other information that we had, and then this woman's manager noticed that John seemed to be arguing with her, and so the manager took over, and the manager started arguing with John, and she asserted that the probate court was not going to file the form for us. Uh, Now, the probate court really isn't uh, responsible for issuing birth certificates. That's the vital records department. All they have to do is file the form. And John was trying to convince this manager of the probate court that she needed to file the form and then if there were problems, we would talk to vital records about it. But she said that she was not going to waste our time or her time or the time of vital records and she would not file the form filled out the way that it was. Now, for any of you who know John, you know that he can sometimes get heated in arguments, but I would like to tell you that he was being very calm. They were having a very calm discussion about this. And after a few minutes of this truly very calm discussion, one of the sheriff's deputies came into the probate court and asked us to leave. And John said, no, no, we're just, we're trying to get this, this form filed so that we can get a birth certificate for our baby. You see the baby right here. And the sheriff's deputy said, no, no, you need to leave the probate court. And so we walked out of probate court into the the lobby of the courthouse and there were four, five, six other sheriff's deputies that began surrounding us. And John said, no, we're just trying trying to work this out. And he said, no, that woman asked you to leave and you didn't leave. And John said, no, she didn't ask us to leave. And he said, well, she felt threatened. She pushed the silent call button. (laughs) And as we were still talking there, and John was now talking to the sheriff's deputy about how we could try and file for a birth certificate, Eight, nine, ten deputies began to surround us, and the deputy that had pulled us out of probate court was getting tired of talking to John. And what I could see but John could not see was that this deputy was reaching for his nightstick. And I thought, Lord, help him if he hits my husband with a nightstick in front of our newborn child. But finally, the the head deputy showed up and kind of calmed everything down. But the head deputy did tell us that we really were being kicked out of the courthouse with our infant. So we had to leave the courthouse. We were both shaking, Virginia was still sleeping. We got in the car and we drove into Atlanta to the Vital Records building. It was another little box of a building. We went in, we took a ticket. When our number came up, we, will, we were able to go into a back office and we talked to some folks at Vital Records. John showed them the forms that we had and explained why we couldn't fit perfectly into the little boxes on the form. And they said that was, that was fine. They could maybe work with us, but the form really had to be filed through the probate court. We couldn't just give it to them. So John said, okay, can you write us a note that we can attach to this and give to probate court saying that they have to file it like this? Vital Records said they would do that. So we went home, and a few days later, we got in the mail the letter from Vital Records telling the probate court to go ahead and file the paperwork the way that it was. Uh, And then the next day, John actually had work to do, so he asked me if I would go down to the probate court with Virginia by myself to turn in this paperwork for the birth certificate. And you have to show the baby, but you don't have to show both parents. So. Even though I was pretty nervous about going back into the courthouse by myself, I agreed to do it, and Virginia and I drove down there. This time I strapped her onto me for better maneuverability, and I did walk through the metal detector, but this time they made me take the baby off of me, and they searched everything. I guess maybe I was like, marked as a troublemaker. And then I, I went back into the little box of a room that was probate court, uh, there was a different woman there at the counter when it was my turn to go up. I handed her my paperwork with that letter on the front of it. She looked through everything. She could tell that it wasn't normal, but there was this, this letter. And she tucked it away, and I was looking around. I saw the, that manager woman over off in a back room, and I gave her the hairy eyeball. But the woman who was there at the counter, she took our papers, and she filed them away. And so that second time I left probate court, I left the courthouse without any further incident. And so that is how Virginia learned from a young and tender age that if you don't fit perfectly into all the boxes, you'd better be ready to stand up for yourself.
0: All right, everyone. Um, Just to further some of the instructions, I think most of the people know this, but I'll repeat it for newcomers. Uh, As you can tell, we're pretty relaxed here, and it's not that formal. And uh, the good thing, or what we want to do here is encourage people to tell their story and get feedback from everybody and, and practice. Basically, that's what we're doing here is practicing, or at least that's what I would be doing if I was telling a story. Uh, and I'm practicing em- emceeing and that's another thing I wanted to op- up, open up and let everybody know that in the future we hope to rotate MCs in and out so that everybody can get a chance to be an MC if they so desire. So without further ado, uh, John Nelson is going to tell us a story.
2: Hey, everyone. I'm the uh, husband from the previous story, and uh, I thought I'd add a little bit more color into that uh, before I go into my story. Um, a couple of things happened after I almost got beat by the sheriff's deputies in the Gwinnett County Courthouse and then summarily got kicked out instead, which is ironic since I'm up there regularly you know, on my uh, law practice, and I actually told some of the magistrate clerks... Um, I believe on uh, on uh, Thursday of, of last week, <laughs> the story about how I almost got beaten up by the sheriff's deputies and got kicked out trying to get my daughter's birth certificate. Uh, one of the things that happened was I uh, wrote the probate judge, because the probate court handles uh, Gwinnett Vital Records, who then just literally takes the paper uh, filings and sends them to the Georgia Department of Vital Records, who then processes them and actually has the power to do things. I wrote the probate judge and, and uh, described what had happened and what his employee had done. And so uh, when Sarah Beth went back to file things, and it went so much more smoothly, and she was giving the hairy eyeball to the employee uh that was uh likely because that employee i found out i've since found out does not actually work there anymore so um <laughs> uh on top of that, to actually finally get Virginia's birth certificate, I actually had to involve um uh governor purdue's office <laughs> uh literally had to write them a letter saying. I'm simply trying to get a birth certificate so I can file my taxes like a good Georgian and pay money to the state. Uh, could they help me out with this? And uh, they actually, to, to you know, I'm, I did not vote for Governor Perdue either, either time, but to give his office, uh, you know, credit where credit is due, um, they did actually reach out to the Department of Vital Records and help smooth, uh, you know, the process out. It still took um, from... I believe it was maybe January of 2010 until uh, August of 2010 before we got that birth certificate. (laughs) So it was definitely madness, which is tonight's theme. Um, So my story on that theme is, as you can see, I have my son here. uh, And believe it or not, I grew up as a boy as well. uh, And... um, one of the things that I'm learning is when he does things that i'm like, "Oh that yeah, that makes sense uh my wife, who grew up not as a boy but as a, as a girl when she was younger uh, says i i what w- where is this coming from?" and so I thought I'd relate some stories of of uh i guess you could say boyhood madness some of the some of the games we boys would play uh you know through some of the some stories of conflicts that I had with my friends when I was growing up. Um, now, I don't know how many of you know what a wiffle ball bat is, or what wiffle ball is. And they had those yellow bats, right? Uh, and what? Um, in, in my neighborhood, there's me, and then I had a next-door neighbor named Andrew. He was older than me. Up the street, I had my friend Chris, who was younger than me, and then at the bottom of the street, just about three houses down, two houses down actually for me, was uh, a, a friend who was younger than Andrew but older than me named Leo. And so every once in a while, we'd, we'd form up into factions. And usually it was me and Andrew versus Leo and whoever he could convince to be on his team at that time, which was usually our friend Chris because our friend Chris uh, just kind of would go along to get along, and he's a great guy, nice guy, and so he'd, he'd be the odd man out and say, well, I guess I'll join up with Leo. And um, so uh, one time uh, we, we, we had this standoff amongst the, fa- the factions where uh, I, I don't remember why it was coming to literal blows, but it was coming to literal blows. And so Leo and his faction had these broom handles as weapons because what do boys have? We, we we find things to be swords and guns. That's what we do. And we, and we hit things because that's what we do, <laughs> as my wife is finding out with our son. Um, and so we had these... Uh, they, they had these broom handles. And what me and my friend, my An- my friend Andrew had is we had wiffle ball bats. And um, so, uh, you know, kind of like a week of dancing around the issue of taunting and giving threats and staking out territory you can't come on my yard no you can't come in my yard and uh if you come in my yard we're going to kick you out and, and finally it came down to a showdown on my lawn in front of our magnolia tree and my friend andrew and i with our yellow plastic wiffle ball bats and my friend leo uh, and my friend Chris, who's kind of hanging back, going, I don't really know why I'm, I'm, you know, involved in this potential combat situation, um, and, uh, and and so it came to the head that my friend Leo took a swing at me, and I raised my wiffle ball bat, and uh, before that he had been taunting, I have, I have wood, you have plastic, that flimsy bat's not going to do anything. And you know we didn't have anything else. We we're like, "Well, bring it you know and so he 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 brought it he took a swing uh you know it was like a swinging of a bat, and you know I swing my my actual Wolf Ball plastic bat back at him, and I could still remember the image in my in my head of the wooden um broom handle. Hitting my wiffle ball bat, and my wiffle ball bat, this plastic bat, like bending over it, so where it was kind of like, here's my wiffle ball bat before the hit, and then this is it after the hit, and the you know broom handle's there, and at that that immediate moment, I'm thinking the wiffle ball bats were a bad idea, um, but then just you know moments later, the broom handle cracks and breaks in half. And my wolf ball bat just springs back up, upright. And there's, there's me with my wolf ball bat with a shock look on my face, jaw hanging open, and my friend Leo across from me with <laughs> a broken broom handle, shocked, jaw hanging open, which I found out was his mom's broom handle, and he later got in trouble for breaking it. And we we kind of stand there, and my friend Andrew's behind me with his wiffle ball bat. Of course, he was smarter and let me be the front line of advance. I was not as smart. Um, and then our friend Chris on the other side in the back, who, it wasn't necessarily from smarts. It was more kind of like, you know, whatever, Leo, this is really your fight kind of thing. <laughs> and we're all just standing there looking at it. And then my friend Andrew starts laughing. And my friend Leo starts laughing. And I just say, I didn't really think that would happen. (laughs) And uh, so, um, you know, a little bit of childhood madness uh, you can expect from boys. Um, The other story I was going to relate from that uh, also involves my friend Leo. He had a knack for getting into trouble. My understanding is he still does. Um, And... uh, there was a uh, another boy, not on our street, but like a few streets over, who still went to our school. Actually, he may not have gone to our school. He may have gone to a private school. Do you remember where Micah? Do you remember Micah? He to give you an idea of Micah. He he was um one of those kids that's bigger than the other kids. Not just bigger like heavy, but bigger like muscle. Uh, he was also. Had a lot like his his family had money, like he had an ATV at like age 10, maybe I don't remember. Um, you know, all the Nintendo games and whatnot. Uh, he, he had money, um, maybe a little spoiled, not a bad kid, maybe a little spoiled though, and and used to getting his way, not just because he had money, but also he was bigger than the other kids, uh, and um. We, we were uh, respectful of his size, I guess you could say, amongst my friends. We didn't pick fights with Micah. That was, just seemed foolish. Uh, you know, No one did that except for my friend Leo. <laughs> and I still remember this one moment um, when Leo picked a fight with Micah. And it had kind of been brewing over the course of a week because that's how it happens. You know, kind of little things here and there build up until finally there's the breaking point the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to say, and, um, uh, you know, at one day, um, Leo, being the smart aleck he was, finally provided the comments that broke, uh, that was the straw that broke uh, the camel's back, or in this case, that enraged Micah, and Leo lived at the end of a cul-de-sac, and behind his house was the creek that we'd all play in, and behind that was some some um uh you know the another sh- uh street, and you know that street connected the street Mike was on uh lived on, and I remember whatever set it off you could literally see Micah's face get red out of fury, and uh he began chasing Leo around his house uh <laughs> it was like out of a cartoon like one time with Leo laughing and, and Micah screaming in rage. Two times, Leo laughing, Micah screaming in rage. Three times, Leo laughing, Micah screaming in rage. And we're all kind of looking on in fascination saying, well, why would you? why would you poke the bear? Uh, and, and, you know, th- that's not necessarily atypical. The moment where it became atypical and the moment where it became something that was burned in my mind was when Micah then proceeded to pick up a very large rock, very large rock I mean it was probably like a i mean it, it was it was literally about this this big kind of rock, picked it up over his head and begins running after Leo with that catching up with him, carrying said rock and at that point, my friends and I were thinking, Micah's going to kill Leo. We knew this was going to happen someday. <laughs> So, <laughs> at that point, you know, uh, up until this point, we're kind of, like, on Micah's side. We're like, Leo's being a jerk. You know, he shouldn't have picked on Mike, uh, Micah. But at this point, we're all like, we don't want to, uh, uh, you know, witness a murder. So, <laughs> we're, like, trying to direct Mike, uh, Micah away from him saying, Micah, just, it's not that big of a deal. Just just call down. And Leo, run over there. Out of the way, he's got a rock. You don't let him catch you. Um, You know, that to go along with the theme of madness there are moments like that in childhood actually another moment of madness was the time these all seem to revolve around leo actually where he got me to the point uh where i grabbed a um decorative tomahawk i had gotten as a, when i was a, as a cub scout went to like a cherokee nation kind of thing uh campground um actually i think it's stone mountain I got a tomahawk and it's like, well, I'll tomahawk you, and it was rather silly looking back on it. But um, you know, these are the these are the uh, amusing moments of childhood, at least boyhood madness, that I think every boy kind of goes through, where you y- you get in your fights with your friends and you explore the um, outer boundaries of the flexibility of uh ball bats, and um, uh, you know how to how to mediate uh a dispute between uh one person who's running as fast as he can and another person who's carrying a rock over his head trying to kill him and uh you know um until I met my wife and had my kids i didn't realize that those moments that I take for granted those moments of madness and craziness and boyhood uh friendships and and fun and Craziness. Girls don't have the same kind of thing. <laughs> and it wasn't really until I had my son and I saw him start doing things and she said, what, what is going on? And I was like, well, that's... I, I'm confu- it's, it's nothing confusing to me. Um, but that's my, uh, some of my tales of, of madness. Um, so if you're not on the list... Uh, I'm going to actually look at my grandmother here because she's got some good stories. Uh, Yeah, she she may have witnessed some. I think my mom and my grandmother witnessed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, four boys and a girl. Um, She definitely has some stories. I actually have some stories from my uncles. actually come to think of a madness. I do have, if there's time later, I might tell one. But the list is right over there. Go ahead and put your name on it. We'd love to hear your stories. They don't have to be as artfully designed and crafted as Sarah Beth's was, uh, as you just listened to my rambling one. Uh, But we'd love to hear your stories and your tales. So come on up, put your name on the list, and and tell us a story. Thank you.
0: All right. Um, How about Mr. Ryan Myers? Are you ready to get up and tell us a story? (laughs) <laughs> Yay. Ron was at our first storytelling uh, event in Sweetwater Bar and Grill and he told a great story about his wife Marie and he has lived in infamy since because all our stories posted were under Ron Meyer's crab attack name until recently when I finally figured out how to get it off <laughs> thank you. everybody Ron Meyer thank you well
3: continuing the theme of Not necessarily madness, but craziness. You really don't meet many, many, too far back. You don't meet many crazy people walking down the road of life. They've usually self-selected themselves out at some point. And being from the South, I can use the word redneck, and I'm going to. That the old joke about the famous, most common last word of a redneck are, Hey, everybody, watch this. (laughs) Usually said on the edge of a rock quarry or something. (laughs) But occasionally, uh, not occasionally, in my case, once, I really did run into a guy that was crazy. I was in the Army, I was a sergeant at that time. We're a little bitty small uh, detachment up in northern Germany. There was only six of us, and instead of people coming in large groups as replacement, we would get people in one at a time. And this fellow, who I'm going to call Private Johnson to protect the guilty, uh, came in, and I sent somebody down to the to the railroad depot to pick him up. And when they got there, um, I could see he was disheveled, but he'd been traveling for a week, so I said, "Okay, you know." But when I actually got a good look at this guy, he's wearing khakis. Uh, uh, he was filthy; he was wrinkled and dirty, and his brass was all on wrong and The worst thing was he was bloody; he had blood all the way down the front of his white t shirt and his uh his khaki shirt and I said, "Man, what in the world happened to you? Did you get mugged or fall off the train, or what happened?" He said, "No, I cut myself shaving now I'm talking about blood I said how could you possibly cut yourself that bad shaving? And he leaned his head back in about six different places. He had these huge Band-Aid-covered gashes. I said, how, how did that happen? He said, well, I'd never shaved myself before. Before I went to the Army, my mama always shaved me. <laughs> And when I was in basic training in school, I would go over the once-a-month shave I needed to the barber shop, and the barber would shave me. So while I was on this trip, I decided I would try it. And he, he had just cut himself. Now, how you cut yourself with a safety razor, I don't know. But he did about six times. So I asked him why then didn't he change clothes. And he said, well, he had lost the key to his duffel bag about a week earlier and couldn't figure out how to get into it. So I sent him back down the barracks with a with an escort, and they got him showered and changed, and and we said, all right, yeah, maybe he's just confused from from travel. So the next day he came in, he looked okay, but there was a a machine in the hallway that served uh, hot and cold drinks, and it served hot chocolate so hot you really couldn't touch the cup. Literally, you had to get several napkins put water on them in order to hold this cup, or you, would, you just couldn't hold it. So during the course of that day, he spilt three of those cups of hot chocolate on himself and never flinched. He never blinked an eye, nothing. I knew he was scalding himself. So his next little escorted visit was down to the dispensary, where the, the doctor on duty talked to him and immediately sent him down to uh, the, the Army Hospital at Frankfurt. Uh, it's called Section 8, which means cuckoo in Army language. And so he's down there, and he's been gone about a week, and I'm beginning to lose him from my memory. And then I have to go down to Frankfurt to the hospital for a routine surgery. I don't know if you guys know what a Bible cisk is or not, but a lot of people get them right here on their wrist. And it's just a little cisk, either wrist, and they're called Bible sisk because... General practitioners and army doctors' method of treating these things was to say, hmm, look over there, son. And when you would look, they would smack it with a King James version of the Bible (coughs) or a medical book. And it burst and it went away and you were okay. But mine, unfortunately, was wrapped around a tendon and they decided, nah, we're going to cut this thing out. So I go down to Frankfurt, and I go to the same hospital, and he's on the eighth floor. It's kind of appropriate, section eight, eighth floor. But (laughs) anyway, I go down, and I have my surgery, and this place is huge. It was actually a uh, a German army hospital during the Second World War, and if you know what their architecture looks like, think Dracula's castle or Frankenstein's laboratory. It was huge, huge wide wallways, marble uh, floors that you Heels clicked on as you walk, but in the wards it was some kind of spongy stuff, and you couldn't hear people walking around in in the ward. And you would look up and there'd be somebody standing right beside you, which was enough to scare you, but it's dark, the lighting's recessed, and there's almost no one in the hospital but me. In fact, there was nobody in this fifty-man, fifty-bed ward but me. And um, the corpsman would come in occasionally and wake you up to take your blood pressure, uh, give you a sleeping pill, and things like that. And so I'm in there about midnight, and I hear this commotion out in the hallway, running up and down and hollering. And I could see flashlights going up and down the hallway, and these two huge MPs burst through the door, you know, the white hat, so the, the white stockings, the sticks, the flashlights, and they start looking under every one of these beds. Uh, I forgot to tell you. My arm was immobilized by a sling that was attached to the bed and had to stay that way for 24 hours. So they're looking around, so I immediately inquire, say, fellas, what are you looking for? They said, well, there's a guy that just came down here about a week ago from up north. He's escaped from the psycho ward, and he's got a scalpel. (laughs) And we're looking for it. I said, well, I think I know that guy. I sent him down here. He said, oh, "They're bad for you. And about that time, they called on the radio and said they had caught this guy, and they had him in restraints. But I did not go to sleep the rest of the night, and I got discharged the next day. And that's my experience with a guy that was really, really crazy. Thank
0: you. All right. Thanks, Ron. Madness. Yep. It's everywhere. <laughs> okay. Cynthia, are you ready? Yeah. yeah. All right. But first I want to know if is, is this anybody's dental floss container? Mm-hmm. I brought it in case we
1: needed high tech development. Okay, everybody, Cynthia Renty. <laughs> oh it's a cold spot back here. Yeah. I can feel that. It's like we I'm glad I brought my little wrap. <laughs> So I am the director of the Lawrenceville Ghost Tours. And thank you, oh yes, I have my fans here that have seen me on tour. Uh, And I've done this for nine full years. I've been a guide for about six years I've directed. And people will come